me if I was okay yesterday. Really? They're like, you do too much. I'm worried about you. They knew who you were. <laughs> Is that Andy's book signing? Oh. Or his birthday. How did that go? It was great. You moderated. Yeah, that was awesome. And you share a author. Author. Yes, JJ. Good. Should we? I wasn't gonna do this, but should we just start talking about your cookbook a little bit? Okay, we can. We can. Yeah. Oh, we're we're this. We're live. (laughs) We're live. No way. Yeah. Fire. It's in. It's on, man. This is. We gotta keep this. This It's all good. JJ, good. JJ, good. He's the one. The one-armed wonder. The one-armed wonder. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, His writing is very clean and yeah. intelligent. I think he's pretty good at adapting to different voices as well. Well, working with him, I can like hear his voice and like everything that he does, but I think he's pretty pretty good at kind of taking your voice and putting it in a nice package. Because hmm. Andy has a very specific voice. Yeah. And I can tell when Andy's written something, when JJ's kind of helped it a little bit. Andy uses like a lot of big words and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have, uh, you've known Andy for a long time. I have. You um, worked at Saucebox. I did, and he's the one that... And he came out of a Bruce Carey restaurant. He's the one that got me a job at Saucebox. No way. When I moved there, I was supposed to work at the Nines, and things didn't work out. It was before Departure was built. So I hit up Andy for a job, just out of the blue, and he told me no. He told me that I was too chef-y and too creative, and that I wouldn't be a good fit at Pock Pock. And he directed me to Saucebox, which actually worked out great, because I got sober at Saucebox. So I actually thank him for kind of guiding me towards sobriety. Nice. Um, but I think it's really funny that he like totally denied me. And we talked about this last night as a book signing, but I probably <laughs> would have enjoyed working there, you know, but I, I get what he says. How long were you at Softbox? I was there for a year and a half. Then, and how'd you, then you moved directly to Departure? I, I was there for a year and a half. Departure had opened and had gone through two chefs and the whole team showed up at Softbox one night for dinner and they like had lunch with me and invited me to lunch the next day and um invited me back to like apply work there and 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 i did can you tell us just why you want to write a cookbook why i know i mean it seems like an obvious question but no it's not or or maybe not an obvious question but i feel like it for a lot of people it ends up being kind of uh, a a lot of work and maybe the the reward wasn't worth it uh i think you know as i I go on in my career i want to do different things and I, i definitely want to put myself in the health space so that's something that's really important to me You know, so I think, you know, this is a good way to kind of go into that health space and be able to help people outside of just cooking, you know, healthiest food at a restaurant. You know, I've developed this style of cuisine just over the years through my own dietary distinctions. And I want to show people that you can eat well, you can eat healthy, you can like avoid these foods that aren't necessarily the best foods for you. And, and you can have a good time doing it. And also, you know, I've had this global pantry thing happening and i want to show people that you can use global ingredients in kind of easy day-to-day ways as well i don't cook as you know greg yeah and if i bought you when i i will buy your cookbook <laughs> okay, by the way. Yeah. Buy, okay good I, good uh, i would hope so be nice. i'll send you one uh, I'm send, i'll send both of you one okay <laughs> so can, 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 how, how will it be easy for me to make yes some so the, the, the book is actually specifically geared for the home cook because i want it to have mass appeal and i want to reach a, a large number of people you know, um, I think a lot of chef-driven cookbooks are very specific. And if you follow the chef or you just want to look at the pictures, you know, these are specific recipes. They're not everyday recipes. There's so many cookbooks out there that are just restaurant or chef-specific that, you know, as a home cook, you know, you probably won't ever make them. You know, I know personally when I'm at home, I don't want to spend hours in the kitchen. 
you know, I'll do that at the restaurant. But realistically, like if I'm just going to run to like Whole Foods or New Seasons, I just want to get dinner on the table for like in like an hour, maybe two hours if it's like Sunday. And that's the whole premise behind the book. So working with JJ has been really great to kind of help me like scale back and not have these really chef ingredients. A lot of them are, you know, half a page, you know, four or five ingredients. <clears throat> There's obviously like the longer recipes. Those are like for like Sunday afternoon and you have like three hours to like, you know, make a spice mix and braise some beef ribs. But for the most part, they're designed to be made within an hour and a half. What's the title? How many recipes do you expect it to have? And what's the release date? Yes. The title is Everyone's Table, Global Recipes for Modern Health. It's 150 recipes, and it is due out on Harper Wave Spring 21. It is you didn't a... even check your notebook. <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> yeah. So it's a health-focused book. It's it's paleo, but it's, it's gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, refined sugar-free, but it's for entertaining and cooking so everyone at the table can eat at the same time so if your niece is vegan and you need to make a dessert the dessert's good enough for everyone to eat at the table if your you know cousin is gluten-free you know you can make everything in the book and everyone at the table will enjoy the dish and not worry that something's missing because nothing's missing in any of these recipes great yes let's dip back a little bit into your past sure um, i um one of the interesting things, I think like you came to Portland from New York. That was where your mm-hmm. sort of culinary career really yes. kicked off. Mm-hmm. And you worked at a restaurant called John George. I did. Uh, you worked at the their related cafe, Nougatine. Yes, I did. And you worked at a restaurant called Roadside 66? 66. Just, Just 66. Re- restaurant, restaurant 66. 66. Okay. Yes. It's Highway 66. <laughs> got caught, man. So... If I'm not mistaken, John George is at Trump Tower, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so did oh, yeah. you ever see <laughs> Trump Honestly, wandering around Trump Tower? No. I'm sure he never ate there because he no, only he, eats like he meatloaf eats and he eats there. steak. He does. Uh, Where does he get there? He still goes, honestly. He still goes to John George. I, I, I think he only got um, elected. Um, you know, <laughs> this is an interesting part of the whole thing. But, yeah, I mean, I, I worked there for – I worked for John George for six and a half years. I worked in that building for – five years and I did my internship there a year prior so in 99 I did my internship there in 2000 I came back and I started Nougatine the cafe I worked pantry for like a year I my first real line cooking job was there I worked every station I became a sous chef I moved upstairs to the main dining room which is George which got four stars by the New York Times which has held three Michelin stars it's lost one star um for quite a few years now but um at one point i had three million stars and you know that's where i pretty much learned everything you know i he gave me my first management position and i moved on to be the chef de cuisine of 66 which is his modern chinese restaurant which was in tribeca and that was my first chef position and that's kind of really where a lot of working with asian flavors kind of solidified for me you know one thing I didn't know about you, which you told me this week when I was in mm-hmm. L.A.? Because mm-hmm. I went to Tacos 1986. Yeah, yeah. And you said, oh, God, I used to cook with Joy Tostada yeah, 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 in yeah. San Diego. Yeah. I never knew you I were. did a brief stint in, in San Diego. So fast forward, you know, six and a half years at Jean George, and, you know, I'm very open about my addiction. You know, I fell into a pretty bad alcohol and cocaine addiction. So I was actually checked into rehab when I left New York City. So, you know, I'd left Jean Georges, actually got fired uh, at the at the height of 66, and I worked at a bunch of shitty places in the city, and then I, I ended up at Mercat, which is a Spanish restaurant that two of my colleagues had opened. We had all had worked at Jean Georges. So 
Um, that was a really awesome experience. But again, you know, like my drug addiction was like pretty bad. It, it was pretty much the height of my drug addiction, you know. Um, so I checked into rehab, but some colleagues had asked me to move out to San Diego and, and help them with a restaurant called Jack's La Jolla, which is like this insane mega complex. It was like the whole block. It was like four clubs and three restaurants, and it was just like complete debaucherous. So I did a brief stint out there. That's where I met Joy. I was a sous chef. And uh, overall, it was not a good fit. There's some really sketchy things happening with the accounting department. And <laughs> and I got the call to move to Portland from a friend before oh. the Nimes was opening. So it only lasted about eight months in San Diego. It was bad. I got in like, a really bad car accident. I drank a lot. And and then when I finally moved to Portland, like everything kind of finally came together. But I had gone to college in Montana. So I had actually been coming to Portland for quite some time. You know, my first time in Portland was probably like 1994. I probably came to a rave in Portland by Lewis and Clark. And that was really the first time I came to Portland. So I have a very, very long history with Portland, Oregon. Huh. <laughs> I didn't know that. In Montana, is it Portland like, oh, let's go to the city? And yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. 2,000 miles. Yeah, away. you're like Sp- Spokane. We used to call it Spokompton. And like, <laughs> I'm like in Portland. Back? To Montana? Yeah. Yeah, I just went back. I went back in June. Do you have family? No, no family. But I have like I have some really good fr- I have some really good friends. My friend Richard, he's a writer out there. Um, he's a, f- a fiction writer and he's sober. He's the one that kind of inspired me to get sober. Oh. And I see him and I have like just tons of old friends because I mean, we were like barely like getting past our teenage years when we were out there and we've all stayed in touch and everyone made it, <laughs> you know? So I love Montana. It's definitely one of those safe places for me. And, you know, I've always done the thing where, like, even though I grew up in New York City, like, I've always, like, left because I actually went to boarding school when I was younger. So by 16. in Delaware? Yeah, in Delaware. So by 16, I was already, like, leaving home and leaving the city and, like, living somewhere rural. So I actually went to high school where Dead Poets Society was filmed. It's called St. Andrews. Yeah. So I've always done this thing where, like, I love the city, but I also love being somewhere, like natural and rural so thus I, i'm here in portland now and I, I have the best of both worlds that movie had already come out when you were there it was filmed one year before i got there did it oh really yeah it's interesting yeah yeah but so there's like two black there's like two black people in the movie yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did uh did you stand on your desk I mean, <laughs> no, no but that like we tried to be cool and like go like run in the woods and like smoke cigarettes <laughs> and like you know after hours and stuff That's like high that. school yeah yeah, yeah. So it's it is interesting that for a lot of people you are associated with your run on Top Chef mm-hmm. just because that show is so popular. Indeed. It's also funny that your co-finalist on that show and yeah. a fellow Portlander, Doug Adams, yes. happens to have a Montana connection. Yeah, yeah. I doubt you guys. No, we we had, had an overlap. We Doug and I met for the first time like on the plane to LA for for like final casting. Oh, and wow. like. We like both just like gave raise each other's the eyebrow and like where are you going like where are you going and like because like no one knows anything while yeah. you're casting, uh, but then they separate you, so like you go through like final casting and you're not supposed to see anyone or or know anyone, so we like I think we were texting in our hotel, separate hotel rooms and then we didn't see each other again until like we till the first day of shooting. Were you aware? I mean, you already were running a restaurant. Indeed, well, and Doug was the right-hand man to Paley at that mm-hmm. time. Were you mm-hmm. aware of who he was already? I, I was. I think we had become friends on Facebook, and I knew a little bit about him, but I, I, I think I remember knowing something about the Montana connection. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I, I remember we just saw each other on the first day of shooting, and we just, like, grabbed each other. And, and I, wanted, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about how 
strange that experience must have been. You were you were already trying to do. You were already applying for reality TV. You did a show called Extreme. <laughs> I saw that episode. Yes, and you keep yes, bringing that show up. It's so funny. I, I okay. saw that episode. Yeah. So great episode. What and why um, is that? Honestly, though, like <laughs> you won. Yeah, that's like one of the few things I won. Um, that was an old show. That was really fun because that was like physically challenging. But going back, I mean, Top Chef has been such a part of like chef culture for so long. You know, like I worked with people who were on season one. I had auditioned a couple times. Actually, like the second time, uh, the first time I auditioned, I was like so high on coke. It was like it was like <laughs> so bad. It was like so bad. I stayed up all night. I was like sniffing the whole time. It was like so bad. So I had auditioned twice. Um, that was the first time it was a disaster. They had they held some auditions in Portland, and I was wearing a socks box. And I think I got down to like the like the the, the twenty finalists or like the fifty finalists or something, uh, but I didn't make it. So at that point, I was like I gave up. But once you do a few shows, like all the casting producers, they just have you like in a system. So they're you're constantly getting called to be like on like you know guys' grocery games, like you know like be Bobby Flay, like Chop, like they call you constantly. So my friend had been on Top Chef the season prior to the one I was on. And when you leave, they ask you to recommend someone for the next season. And she recommended me. And I was like, well, I've auditioned so many times. You know, like, it's such a long process. You know, like, you call me and then, like, I'm just waiting. on You just wait on the phone. Every time you you see the LA area code, you think it's them. So you're, like, you're racing to the phone. So it's just, like, this, like, anxious thing. So I was like, I don't want to do it, you know. And they're like, no, you just, we're good. Like, you can just be cast. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's go for it. So that was that. They just cast you right there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's because cool. I think they've they've seen so much of you, like they just kind of know what character they need to like round out the cast. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's truly based on personality. Did your experience on Top Chef make you a better chef? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think I think one it like helped a lot of people just to like, call attention to me because I think honestly like Departure is like a very on Portland restaurant, so like it deters a lot of people from going to Departure, even though like we're busy as shit, you know. So I think that credited a lot of people to like, well, inspired a lot of people to come and start eating at Departure, which I'm grateful for. Um, and I think losing also just kind of made me realize there's like so much to learn. You know, I, I, I walked away because once you go on set, you like they take all your notes. You don't have a phone. You don't have like the Internet. You have nothing. You just have what's in your head. So with my shortcomings you know, pulling out of victory, like overall, you know, I just really felt inspired to travel and to learn more about food and to cook. And, you know, I, I immediately started traveling as soon as I got off the show. I just started going to Asia every year. I'm going to Europe every year. I started going to Haiti and just like learning more about food as much as possible and, and trying to connect with more chefs around the country. So it, it's, it's definitely inspired me to just keep pushing. One thing I admire about you now is that your, your involvement in, charitable and nonprofit organizations um last year you did roots dinner mm-hmm. at the nines mm-hmm. are you gonna do it again oh yes yeah. yeah roots is roots is getting planned as we speak we're really excited it's actually on november 23rd this year so last year we partnered with the james beard foundation it's an official james beard event it's official friends of james beard event and we raise money for the james beard foundation uh impact programs uh the impact programs are you know mostly uh, surrounding around boot camp where they every few weeks they take a group of chefs and um, chefs who have voices in their communities and they take them they go to somewhere like a farm or a ranch and and you discuss a certain food policy and i went 
last year and it just really you're supposed to go back into your communities and, and just be active and it really inspired me to just want to get involved with like hunger um and with fair food and especially in our in our city in our state and it, it, dev- it got me to develop a really close relationship with congressman blumenauer so we do this huge event um Last year was big. We had like every James Beard Award winner from the state ever. <laughs> it was like a blowout. It was fantastic. It was like a 13 course dinner um, with a reception as well. So um, we'll never be able to recreate that lineup. But, you know, we raised tons of money. Uh, we work with um, the Farmers Market Fund, which gives people on uh, SNAP um, double the amount of money. So if you're shopping at the farmer's market, you get double cash so you can buy even more fruits and vegetables if you're on government assistance. Um, this year, um, we're actually partnering with uh, Urban Gleaners, which I sit on the board of. So um, we're really excited to do that. Um, the, the roster is a little bit smaller because it's kind of a lot to sit there for a three-hour dinner and have 13 courses, but it's not much smaller. So we're very, very excited. Uh, everyone everyone on the roster is is Everyone for the main dinner is a James Beard recognized. Um, and this year we're incorporating just more people uh, for the cocktail reception because I feel you just have to mix it up and you have to be inclusive. And you want to mention more, some names? Yeah, of course. I have the list right here. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, ready. So this yeah, year. Gregory with us. throw some <laughs> softballs here. November 23rd. November 23rd. Nines. Nines. Okay. Uh, for reception for Roots, our big James Beard fundraiser, we have Maya Lovelace. We have Elsie Denville and we have Rasmir Rustantunai. Nim. Yeah, Nim. Nim. Long we love her. Bon. Yeah. And then for dinner, we have Naomi Pomeroy, Justin Woodward, Katie Millard, Bonnie Morales, Peter Cho, Doug Adams, Vitaly Paley, Ryan Roadhouse, and yours truly. And Tim Halea on dessert. Awesome. Yeah. Um, let's talk about another dinner. Yeah. So you are putting together a dinner for Feast Portland. Yes. And my understanding is it's going to explore, explore the food of the African diaspora. That's, that's the concept. <laughs> okay, so this is kind of, for people who aren't aware, it's one of the kind of coolest things happening in American restaurants right now is that places like June Baby in Seattle, not far away, and Kith and Kin in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. um, are sort of exploring the connections between West Africa uh, and then slaves brought from West Africa to the Caribbean and then how that's influenced the American South and then how that has spread all across America. Can you tell us a little bit about how that dinner came to be? Uh, did you have any trepidations about yeah. putting it together okay. in Portland? Sure. Uh, well, I, you know, some feedback that I gave Team Feast, you know, was that I definitely feel we need to do more important dinners at Feast. I think Feast has such an amazing platform. You know, and being a part of the Zero Proof Dinner last year and just to seeing how that just took off nationally and how there was so much interest and how it inspired, you know, sober chef groups to start around the country and even more sober dinners. I realized that Feast has such a platform, you know, and, you know, like we can't, we shouldn't just be like having like picnics and barbecues and like vegetable dinners. Like we should have dinners that actually have a lot of thought and purpose and meaning and help people. So I felt, you know, the one thing I will say about Portland is like, as, as although like it's a very predominantly, extremely predominantly white like town city. I haven't noticed. <laughs> you <laughs> is know, that true? I, I I do think there's so much culture represented in in the restaurants and in the cuisine and the food. You know, so you know. 
so in, in that sense, I've, I've always felt very comfortable here because you know, the majority of the people I hang out with are in the restaurant industry and there's so much different culture represented. So, you know, I, I just felt like it would make complete sense to have this dinner, with, especially with Eduardo. You know, you know, Eduardo comes to Portland all the time. He's a close friend. You know, he's just in Seattle. Kwame, uh, I've known him for quite some time as well. You know, he's having like the best year ever, ever, ever. <laughs> really yeah, like literally ever. You know, so. And, uh, and, so Kwame Anwache from Kith and Kin, yeah. one of the chefs, uh, mm-hmm. he wrote a memoir. Mm-hmm. Well, this might not have been this year, but he wrote a memoir. Mm-hmm. It was a big hit. Yeah. He, after kind of bombing with his first yeah. tasting menu restaurant he opens yeah. kith and kin and has gotten it's been very well reviewed yeah uh, i ate there on monday yeah uh <laughs> oddly enough it was delicious i'm this is i'm channeling gary here. Yeah. <laughs> i was there monday right before paris and uh you know S- santiago chile but uh uh then james the freaking memoir gets oh yeah, yeah. james beard yeah. a pretty big deal yeah. his memoir gets picked up for a movie mm-hmm. uh it's casting Lakeith Stanfield is that right mm-hmm. so I mean pretty yeah. great as, as him yeah so. uh he has a pretty cool story he has a really cool story Eduardo Jordan has a really cool story mm-hmm. uh who's the fourth member the Lester the Lester Miles from Alabama Highlands Bar and Grill and James, she is James, a James Beard award winning pastry chef yeah, yeah, iconic ago. iconic American desserts that's South awesome. American desserts it, it took a while for her to respond but <laughs> she she finally signed up for she's it. into it yeah her first time to Portland I yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she made her iconic pecan cake coconut pecan cake oh my god but you know I mean I've cooked with Eduardo a few times but really just kind of you know fluffy events you know nothing you know with too much depth you know besides us just hanging out and making great food which is great you know um and you know just connecting with Kwame so within us three you know I'm always looking for a platform to you know do Haitian cuisine which is my heritage which I'm exploring more and more so I think the cool part is between the three of us you know there is so much represented you know from you know Eduardo who represents you know like southern black American cuisine to Kwame who you know, is he ha, who has lived in the South. He's lived in New York City. He has Jamaican roots. He has Nigerian roots, you know, um, and he tells a lot of stories through all of that and, and me just, you know, wanting to explore my Haitian culture as well. Um, you know, so it, it kind of brings to light and brings to the table a lot of different stories and, and all these food ways come from, you know, one place, which is Africa. The one distinction I would say between you and those two chefs mm-hmm. is, that, and tell me if I'm wrong, please, mm-hmm. but is I feel like their restaurants, they use these dishes and ingredients to tell a story of America. Mm-hmm. And I feel like having just gone to one of your Haitian pop-ups, mm-hmm. you were using food to tell a story of Haiti. Indeed. And that's an interesting perspective shift. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you're first-generation American. You grew up and spent time in Haiti. Mm-hmm. I'm also first-generation American. Yeah. I, I wonder if that, although Kwame also spent time in Nigeria growing mm-hmm. up, but I wonder if that's like a perspective shift for you I, I i don't know that's just yeah. a curious thing that uh, in my you head. know i mean i think for me you know like it, i haven't been cooking haitian food like for my whole culinary career so you know i think for me it's really important that i start with authentic haitian cuisine you know i don't think it'd be fair to haitian culture to you know if i'm using my platform to promote haitian cuisine i don't think it'd be fair to like start mixing it up and, and not showing what the authentic true you know traditional haitian cuisines are you know, for all, so, so all of us can start, you know, at the, the right starting point, you know, I think I'm just trying to be as honest and, and, and true to the cuisine as possible by, by bringing it to the table. I want it to bring it as authentically as possible. 
you know. So where do you see yourself fitting in, in in this dinner, other than the fact that you're the host of it? Okay. Um. I mean, I think I think we're going to see similar ingredients. You know, I I think we'll be able to like share these stories. You know, like I I already know that you know like parts of my dish are going to go well with you know parts of the dishes that I'm making are going to go well with Kwame's rice. You know, he's making jollof rice. You know, so I I, I think you know when we it's a good representation of just chefs in America who are representing something and and yeah there's there's four different stories that will be on the table but like they all have a certain specific source you know and and, and the food will go well together 100%. that's great it's yeah. gonna be great yeah I love those two restaurants yeah so the format of the dinner is, is uh, we'll all do one past app uh, Kwame will be doing a cucumber salad with a gooseberry piri piri uh, uh, excuse me Eduardo will be doing a uh, Cajun fried catfish Excuse me, with a cherry tomato salad and a preserved lemon vinaigrette, and I'll be doing a few Haitian dishes. You've had a few of them. We'll be doing like uh, chicken and Creole sauce. We'll be doing conch simmer with tomatoes and scotch bonnet chilies, uh, and we'll be doing guia, which is the twice cooked pork that's marinated in scotch bonnet and lime. Conch, conch. Yeah. Oh, I love conch. I've been to Miami for five years. <laughs> I know you did. Conch. Yeah. Uh, any vegetables? I remember really loving the the legume. No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. No. Yeah. I'm, I can probably add it. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to go to that dinner, you are completely out of luck. Yeah. Sold out immediately. That's sold out really fast. You're in trouble. Yeah. So I'm super excited. You know, it's, it's, those guys are great, you know, and Kwame has been like awesome. He's busy as hell, but he's been like awesome. So we're really excited to cook together. He was there when I was at the restaurant. Yeah. 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 He's totally there. That's great. Um, all the chefs, like at all the restaurants I went in DC were there. It was great. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. It's, I feel like they're, what they've been doing and other chefs too, and also I would kind of throw in the um, African American History Museum's Cafe in mm-hmm. this conversation because mm-hmm. they're sort of doing the same thing. I think it's like, it's been a paradigm shift for Southern restaurants mm-hmm. in America. And I'm not sure everyone's really caught up with it, but I think even Portland 10 years ago, you look around at what, what a Southern restaurant is, or I don't think any of these like fried chicken places in Portland screen door, for example, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw them under the bus per se, but mm-hmm. nobody was really dealing with the implications of Southern food, of where it mm-hmm. came from, mm-hmm. of what its roots were. And, you know, a lot of that came from West Africa. You can see direct, um, you know, connections from ingredients and dishes that you see in West Africa to the Caribbean, to the South. And some of those get tweaked and morphed and fused with other cuisines and stuff. But, Essentially, it's really hard. This is a very obvious thing I'm saying, but it's really hard to tell the story of Southern food in America without telling the story of slavery. Can you have a modern Southern restaurant in America in 2019 that doesn't deal with that? I I mean, I, I think we'd be discrediting the cuisine if we did. You know, I mean, I don't think anyone who is going to dig deep into their personal history or the history of their race or the history of where this, this food is coming from, you know, without you know, unearthing elements of, you know, of, of slavery and, and like all the darkness that surrounds it and, you know, all the good that came out of it, you know, with this cuisine. So, you know, I think especially as people obviously want to connect more with their food and the food stories and, and, and where the history behind the food is, you know, I think it's very impossible to do that. And, and if you're doing so, you're not respecting, you know, where the food is coming from by any means. Do you think Haiti's history is distinct from the history of other Caribbean islands and and if so how does that impact oh man I mean I think Haiti you know uh, you know Haiti is my culture but like it's 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 extremely rich culture but at the same time it's an extremely poor culture you know like Haiti 
while being, you know, one of the first, you know, peoples to free themselves from slavery, like the first people to free themselves from slavery, Haiti has had a very rough run, you know, like <clears throat> with political issues for decades, you know, uh, and, and just the, there's a lot of plastic pollution there and, you know, just the natural resources are completely depleted. So, you know, for me, you know, like I love it, but like, it's, it's rough to go back, you know, but, you know, but I love it, you know, and, and I, I have so many amazing memories of, you know, being a kid there and like relatives and I see such a beautiful culture there when I go and the food is so amazing. So, you know, it's really important to me, you know, like as I start going back annually and spending more time there that, you know, I'm able to bring these stories and, 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 and help as much as possible. You know, there's Jose Andres has a cooking school there. I've, I've already connected with the people there. You know, I plan on helping there. Um, we do a Haiti in my heart pop-up dinner and we've, we donated to orphanages in Haiti. So, you know, it's extremely important that I, I commit and help that as well. While, oh. while, while finding as many outlets, you know, to, to trade Haitian food in America. That's great. Jose Andres is a, a big fan of the podcast. So Jose. <laughs> well, he's one of the 10. <laughs> She's number one. Awesome. Um, can we, I'm going to just do something off the cuff and then we have a few rapid fire questions. Okay. For you to okay. Okay. I've told you before that my wife was kind of a club kid in New York. Okay. When, what was your like height of uh, clubbing? My height of clubbing? Yeah, I mean, we, we yeah. won't deal with the cocaine. Okay. <laughs> because you have yeah. continued yeah. as a fan of electronic music. Yes, and I know you were indeed. in Belgium recently. At yeah. the, what, which festival was that? Tomorrowland. Oh my God. It's it the biggest, amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I was amazing. freaking out. I love it. Instagram. <laughs> it was so good. Um, okay, so what, so what were the years of the height of your clubbing? So mid, mid, mid-2000s for sure. It was the end of the rave era and everyone was like a little bit older and it was kind of like the final round of like the Amer- the, the New York club scene so like meatpacking district like west side you know clubs like like tunnel and twilo um pacha um we just kind of ended up there you know all day parties all night parties um so here's the places she mentioned just yeah out of curiosity uh tunnel of course, yeah. I just mentioned tunnel. Tunnel is iconic, like beyond iconic. Uh, she would wait until midnight when the cost went down to get it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, Sound factory. Sound factory. Limelight. Lim- limelight is like that's the be- famous one. Beyond iconic, the slime light. The slime light, <laughs> yeah. which was in a church. It was in a church, and it's featured in the movie Party Monster. Yeah, if like you like limelight was like iconic. Limelight was like really one of the older clubs, and you know. And let's see. All right. That's all I got. Oh, she mentioned maybe Barracuda. Barracuda? Said all the guys drank Rolling Rock. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Rapid fire questions. I'll go first. Um, what's the best meal you've had at a new Portland restaurant in the past year? New Portland restaurant in the past year? Oh, God. I don't really go out that much. Where have I been, Gary? <laughs> you must get. Hi, Yai. Hi, Yai. there. Bullard. Yeah. Okay, I think Bullard. I went to Bullard this year. I'm, I'm going to give my, my... The first time having the chicken at Bullard, I'll give that. That's for my best new dish of the year. The fried chicken? No, the, 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 the smoky, smoky... Smoky chicken. Yeah, yeah. That's really smoky. Yeah. Um, go. <laughs> What's your favorite meal ever? My favorite meal ever? Oh, God, this is a hard question. My favorite meal ever. 
I don't know. I'm probably going to... In a restaurant or in just an ever, ever? Yeah, let's do restaurant. In a restaurant? I mean, recently I had an amazing meal at Oshimoko. Oh, okay. In yeah, Brooklyn. That was really, really good. Justin... The, the Justin that's Derrick. Derrick. Yeah. That, that's, that's up there for the year, I think. Wow. That was really, really good. He's coming here to cook with Bonnie yeah. Morales in yeah. December. But all yeah. the tickets are gone. Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> we, 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 we both worked at Jean George. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Who's your cul- cul- culinary mentor? My culinary mentor? Uh, okay, so let me go back. So I think my favorite meal ever is dinner at Nam. Nam before... Under I, David Thompson. Under David Thompson. Yeah, which I've been... I did two weeks last year. Um, I haven't gone this... I didn't go... I haven't gone to Thailand this year. But yeah, definitely Nam. Uh, my culinary mentor, his name is Gregory Brainin. He is JG Jean-Georges' right-hand man. He's the culinary director for all of Jean-Georges. Uh, our careers kind of follow each other when he was a line cook i was an intern when he was a sous chef i was a cook when he was an executive chef i was a sous chef and so on and he like really stuck by me through my ups and downs he's and, still there right oh yeah oh yeah he's he opens every restaurant he's he creates all the recipes and he still inspires me today and i see him every time i go to new york if you could cook a dinner with any three chefs other than the three chefs that you're already cooking with okay who would they be in the world yes. anywhere <laughs> Uh, any time. At any time? Oh, we can, wow. We can drag up Edna. Okay. Escoffier. Um, uh, Escoffier. It'd be like Enrique Olvera. Oh. It'd be David Thompson and maybe Alice Waters. Whoa. <laughs> she can bring some fruit on a plate. Do, does, she, does she cook? <laughs> She'll cook that egg on the spoon that she cooks for everyone. I know you're an ultra marathoner, so yeah. you've gone on 100 mile runs, which yeah. probably takes like 12 hours. Uh, 100? Yeah. F- 50 takes about 12. 50 takes, What's the longest uh, run you've done? I've done 50 twice. Okay. okay. That's 100. If, if, you had to, <laughs> if you could pick three people to go, to be with you on that, you know, to run with you on, on that 50 mile <laughs> yeah? run, who okay. would they be and oh, why? Gary Easy. Michael, so you really <laughs> pick one more. <laughs> Gabe Rucker, Ben Jacobson, and I probably need one more person just for fun. I mean, you're doing that already. Yeah, but like, Gabe's a beast, and like Ben's just like goofy and like super silly, and like he's really fun, and he's like a super good athlete as well. Even though he doesn't act like it, he's like a really good athlete. Have you done that? Have you done that canyon run yet? Um, no, that's in late September. Okay. Kitchen to Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. we never introduced the podcast, but this is. <laughs> Walkins, welcome. I'm Michael Russell. This is Gary the Foodie, and you've been listening to Gregory Gorday. And uh, you can listen to this, and I don't know. Well, hopefully we we'll see you on feast. Well, hopefully this recorded, and we don't have to do this. Again. <laughs> <laughs> We've got time. We've got ten minutes.